episode of Inside the Recording Studio. My name is Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing all right, Jody. Doing all right. Just back from basically taking a week off from doing stuff besides this podcast. Yeah, you feeling good? uh, I feel relatively refreshed, so I guess that's good. Bonus. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. I think we have announced that I had nose surgery about a month ago, and my nose is finally healed to the point where it's open on both sides of the channel, so to speak, so I'm sleeping all the way through the night again. It's a lovely thing. Bonus. The whole breathing thing is good. We talked about that, but I remember you saying that you're pro-breathing. I am pro-breathing. I've tried to quit the habit a few times, but have not been able to successfully do it yet. Yeah, it's ill-advised. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm glad you're healing up, buddy. That's awesome. Yes. So today we're going to try and bust a few more audio myths that we've heard about in recent terms and times. Yeah. What are we going to kick it off with today? We're going to kick it off with the first thing that we have on our list here is something that I think has a lot of woo around it, Mm -hmm. and that's Oxygen-free cables. Yeah. Oxygen-free cables. If you're not using oxygen-free cables, nothing is going to work right and it's going to sound like garbage. Isn't that true, Mr. Whitesides? I beg to differ. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yes. In terms of oxygen-free cables, the whole concept of that is just kind of bizarre to me. Unless you are creating the cable in a vacuum and then hermetically sealing it. I find it very difficult. Of course, there's some science behind how it's all supposed to work. But the idea that it's going to actually make things sound better is a little bit marketing speak, I think. I, I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. I don't think anybody could pick it out if you had an A-B test more than 50% of the time. So, oh, that's an oxygen-free cable, or that's not. So I, I think it, it's nonsense. But you have read up on this a little bit, and there is a certain thing with it that actually holds a little bit of water. Maybe you can expose on that. Yeah, so there actually is a few things, because there there's some science behind it. So it's not so much that it's going to make your audio suddenly be magically awesome, but with the way the try to combine the copper atoms has to do with the way copper combines with itself. And on lesser made or non-oxygen free cables, there can be impurities in the copper. So the oxygen free concept means that they're trying to get as pure a copper as they possibly can, which would hopefully over a cable length, increase the signal flow. So whether that makes something sound better or not, that's an entirely ambiguous type thing. However, the longer the cable runs, say greater than 50 feet in length, which is not going to affect most people, that's when oxygen-free cable, so to speak, should improve signal flow because there's less impurities between the beginning and end of the signal path. The other thing that oxygen-free cable is supposed to be better about is cable quality in terms of corrosion. Because the cable is more pure, it's less likely to corrode, which means it's more durable and should last much longer. You're not really purchasing oxygen-free cable for the sonic brilliance it's supposed to give you because that's 
something in an A-B test, as you just mentioned, probably not something you're going to actually hear. But what you will get is something that's more durable and will last longer, which if you're investing in a studio, that's probably a more ideal situation about the concept of an oxygen-free cable. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said there at the end is something that – because obviously these cables are – they're, they're more expensive. Yeah. Right? They are so, a so more they, expensive. They, it's a hefty investment, possibly, if you're wiring a whole studio with this. If you're just buying a guitar cable, I would say save your money and just get a, a, a regular cable. But probably going out on a limb here, let's say that all your cables that are wired in your studio are going to start breaking down at the same time. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's unlikely to happen. Yeah, it'll be rough. And th then you're dealing with perhaps a little bit more of a heftier investment if you find that that happens on the yearly, you know, uh, <laughs> probably again, less likely. But if you're buying oxygen-free cables, Bear in mind that it's not improving your audio quality, I would say. It, it might just be like a longer-lasting cable, perhaps. Yeah. But then again, if you take care of your cables in the way that you're supposed to, that may or may not be an issue, especially if it's not exposed to the elements and stuff. So Sure. But, you know, you know as they say, if you're going runs longer than 50 feet and not a whole lot of people tend to do that. I mean, there's some high-end studios that will do that. And of course, they're going to go for those really expensive cables to keep that signal flow as pristine as possible. Mm. So that being said, other things that kind of relate to the oxygen-free cable concept, gold tip plugs. Yeah. That uh, makes me uh, yeah. laugh every time I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. It's, oh, yeah, it's a better connectivity. Okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Again, I think it's one of those things that we tell ourselves that, oh, it's better. And it's, oh, I can definitely hear it. There is a very well-known engineer who did an episode of Pensado's Place. Mm -hmm. And they talked about this. And this engineer claimed that for them in their working situation, it meant the difference of not having to EQ stuff going in at all when they changed to, to gold tip cables. Mm. That's a bold claim. That is a bold claim. Now, this is not, again, this is not somebody fly by night. This no. is a guy that had golden ears, if you will, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it. Connectivity, what, is that gonna make the signal flow better? If you're dealing with those margins, I, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. I, I think uh, it's the same as with oxygen-free cables. Like If you can pick it out more than 50% of the time, mm, I'll see it then, but I have a hard time seeing that anybody could do that. Do, yeah. you, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm one of those that I don't really care if the tip is plated with gold. What I do care about is whether or not the plug inserts into the socket solidly. That there's yeah. actual connection that happens that is not wishy-washy because some plugs will not fit into some sockets in a very precise manner, I guess is a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, obviously you so want, like you want a, a, better a snug connections. Yeah, yeah. You want snug connections. That's that's the bigger thing, I think, with the concept of your plug and your sockets. To sort of round off that topic, if you will, I think what we're talking about here is not that you should just get any cheap old cable. A good quality cable is what you want. You don't want something that's going to 
like you said, cause any static or the soldering is going to start breaking down once you've unplugged it four times. You know? Sure. If you Going, had a preference, and I want to just interject before we add yeah. the, the next portion that adds to this whole cable stuff. If you had a sure. preference for a cable and a connector, is there a preference that you have? As far as like material? Or company? Or, or are you t- not really. I mean, I, I try not to always buy the the most top end type of stuff, but mm-hmm. I just want a good quality cable. I mean, if it feels like it's going to fall apart, I'm not going to buy it. Sure. You know, but I'm not going to fall for the marketing ploy either. But like the Neutrik connectors, or you mentioned off camera here, like the Mogami stuff. On a somewhat related note, on cables, not funny at the time, but it's funny looking back at it now. Mm-hmm. This is in, back in the days when I used to have my refrigerator rack when I was out doing live shows. Mm-hmm. And it's like a spaghetti mess back there, basically. It's like I had it you know, routed, well, the way it needed to be to, to run all that kind of stuff. And I started having issues where signal was cutting out. So I'm thinking, oh, it's those cheap cables I'm running back there that, that are starting to break down. I went with another manufacturer, and I don't want to mention names here again. Let's say it was the En Vogue thing at the time where you bought the connectors and you bought the cable separately, and it was a solderless cable. I know and now, who you're referring now to. Now you know how I'm talking about Oh, yeah. yeah. I went that route. This is going to be great. It's going to sound awesome. It's going to be a lot less issues for me. It was the exact opposite. I never had as <laughs> much issue with that, and I spent what felt like a freaking fortune on cables wiring up my rack after that. And it turns out it wasn't the cable in the long run. The cheap-ass HOSA cables I was running, they were just fine in my rack. It wasn't that <laughs> at all. It, it was another issue. But you just want a cable to work, yeah. right? That, that's all you want. So do, do you have any favorites of, of cables that you'd like to I did. You mentioned both of them, actually. Oh, yeah? All yeah. Right. The Neutrix so, connectors are my hands-down favorites. Yeah. They are just awesome plugs for the right size sockets. Usually mm-hmm. you don't have a problem with the sockets. It's usually the plug. Neutrix makes very, very, very nice connectors. There's just no question yeah. about it. They are built like tanks and they are awesome. And they generally never have a connectivity problem with a socket. In terms of cable, there's two. You mentioned one, Mogami. Mm-hmm. The other one mm-hmm. that I really like is Canari. So both of those companies make really nice cable. And you combine that with the Neutrik connectors and you have really awesome cables. Do I yeah. have everything in that configuration as being Mogami or Canari cable with Neutrik connectors? No. Sometimes you're in a bind and you need to go grab something and you just get the closest thing you can that's going to be a quality cable. As you say, you want it to feel like it's not going to fall apart on you immediately. So, yeah. But do I pay attention to the oxygen free thing? No. I don't. Is you know, the, most of my cable runs are well under 50 feet, so I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. No, the reality it, of the whole concept of that, and in addition to this, there's rectangular cables that have came out. Yeah. Where instead of it being round, like a circle, it's like a rectangle and it's hollow in the center. So the cable goes around like in this rectangular format. And the idea, I believe, is that the electromagnetic field that the cable generates is somehow going to be improved, which improves the audio quality and, and whatnot. But those cables are ridiculously expensive. I mean, it's hundreds of dollars for like a 10-foot cable. 
It's insane. But of course it is. <laughs> and my thinking on it is, is can anybody really hear that? Do they look cool? Sure. Do they sound better? Highly doubt it. In an A-B test, I couldn't hear it. However, that being said, if you got the right marketing hype on it, it's the best way to separate an audiophile from his trust fund. <laughs> of course, All of that yeah. stuff is. It, it's right. essentially what it is. It's, it becomes, I want to take your money, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I get it. Yeah. I understand it. You're, you're creating a business model for something that is going to get you less than probably a one hundredth of a percent better in any kind of signal. There's a lot of woo, and I think the unfortunate thing is, I mean, it's a psychological one, but I do think that people in the audio industry, whether it's you're a musician or an engineer or mastering engineer, maybe less of a mastering thing, but people have a tendency to not wanting to admit when they can't hear something. It's like tough, when you right? Because you, yeah. like you feel like I'm an audio pro. I've got golden ears, damn should, it. <laughs> Yeah, you can't hear that? No, I can't, you know? Oh, yeah, it's kind of like the old A&R fader on the board, right? Mm -hmm. When the guy comes in. I've heard stories just really, really funny where the A&R guy comes in and that's his creative contribution for the year, right? He wants to throw his two cents in on the mix. Yes, you can use this fader to do whatever it is you need to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, okay. Get, put the tambourine is a little off, you know. Okay. Yeah. Here's this fader, and they go. They're not doing anything. Oh, there, there it is. And then you go. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. That's so much better now. Mm-hmm. You know. And everybody's good. And you roll your eyes, and you you continue <laughs> you on with the mix. On. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's an unfortunate thing, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. No, I I can't hear that. What are you listening to? Yeah. You know, what, what are you hearing? Maybe I can try. But yeah, I think that's a big part of it. So, oh, you got to have your $5,000 cables or your mixes shit. And even on going further down the line, that means that your song is crap, right? So, <laughs> yeah. That's the exact There's another the thing. direction there. <laughs> yeah. There's another thing that I, I'd like to point out when it comes to cables. I've actually seen ads for this where – they're marketing USB cables designed for music. Oh, yes. Okay. So this is kind of like our second myth here. This is, yeah. it kind of works in conjunction with the oxygen free thing, but it is a separate thing we were moving on to for USB cables and marketing, yeah. as you say. And I think the marketing ploy was like, do you really want a cable that's designed for a printer to handle your audio? And it's just like, <laughs> it just makes your head want to explode. Because <laughs> a USB cable, if you're unaware, and you're probably not, but it either works or it doesn't. I was like, there, there's no, yeah, this has higher bandwidth. No, it's ones and zeros. It's a digital cable. It's not going to affect your audio in that and, way. And USB has its specific throughput. It doesn't change unless yeah. the cable's broken. I mean, if you break the cable, well, yeah, it's not going to work and nothing's going to go through it. But for... Right. All the podcasters out there and for home recordists that use those mics that connect direct via USB to the computer, don't fall for the hype of a USB cable that's quote-unquote meant for audio. It's not going to change anything about it. It's meant to separate you from your extra money. (laughs) That's all that is. I just think it's funny that some people fall for that. Much like long-distance cable runs. For oxygen-free cable and regular audio cables mm-hmm. for audio files, that kind of thing. Long-distance USB cable runs 
yes, you will run into problems. I'm not sure what the actual length of a USB cable should technically ever be. I think the one that I have for my MIDI connection for my foot pedal that runs to the computer off the stage, I believe the length of that one is 100 feet. Never had a connectivity problem with it. It gets the MIDI That's data throughput like there's no tomorrow. So 100 feet is actually a pretty good length of cable. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a long cable. It yeah. is a long cable, especially for a USB. And it gets the data from one end to the other. And if you know anything about doing real-time MIDI data, it's insane how much data gets spit through that cable. And it's not yeah. missing anything between it and the computer at 100 feet. So do you need a USB cable meant for audio? No, because mine's just a standard USB cable meant for USB stuff for a printer. And it does just fine. The same thing there. You just want a good cable that, that just feels like it's not going to break down. If it's, you know, super thin and it has a flower painted on, on the, the tip, like it's for a toy, it might just be a crappy build, but it has nothing to do with, with anything else. It's just going to break down. So good quality cables all around, but you don't have to spend a fortune on any of the marketing hype. True it's, that. I guess the, the kind of the bottom line of what we're trying to say here. How about our next myth here, where you can make a mix sound good on bad speakers. That means it's going to sound great everywhere else. Eh, wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always marveled at people that, that say that. I think it's something that, that we, we tell ourselves when we're starting out, and there may not be a budget for, for a decent set of speakers, Mm -hmm. or headphones for that matter, and you know, disregarding the room treatment and all that kind of stuff. But what we think, well, if I can make it sound good on these crappy speakers, it's got to sound great on a good pair of speakers. Well, that's not true, because all you're doing is making it sound good on your crappy speakers. You're still not, they're not revealing all the things that you need to hear in a mix, it might be missing low end, it might be a super hyped high end, or whatever the issue might be. Well, it's in addition to the speakers, it could be the room you're in. You could have well, fantastic that, speakers in a really horribly designed room, or even just a bad room in general, and it's not going to make your mix sound any better. Right. But that's a whole separate but, concept there. We're talking strictly the speakers. Yeah. So I think it's something that we, you know, we fool ourselves in, into that kind of thinking because we've all done it and you know we all do it to a lesser degree, but where we have a mix and it sounds great in our room and you know we, we take it somewhere else and it's like, oh my God, this sounds horrible. Mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of moving parts there. And it, it comes down to if you're not hearing with your speaker and in your room as accurately as possible what is going on. You're simply not going to be able to make those decisions with your mix to make it translate everywhere else. And that's why, you know, a lot of guys, I know you have two sets of speakers yes. that you tend to go back and forth with. And assuming you, you're checking it on headphones and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the reason people do that is to get different perspectives and see how it's going to translate. Yes. So, Bottom line, before I get off my soapbox here, if you have an air quote crappy speaker, you're just making your music sound 
good on that crappy speaker. It doesn't mean that it's going to translate. So Would true. you agree with that? I do agree with that statement. I have really nothing I can add to it. I'll feel so much better that I got off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, since you feel so great, why don't we take a moment and take a word from our sponsors? All right, we're back and we've got our next little pet peeve, so to speak, of busting an audio myth that one DAW is so much better than another DAW. How do you feel about that? I think this is tied to a similar type of mindset that we like to feel that we're always making the right decisions. So if you're not using the same DAW as I am, you are not doing it right. We've talked about this in other podcasts as well, Episodes, but yeah. it's absolute, absolute nonsense. Whatever DAW that you're using today is more than capable of doing the job that you're probably trying to do. Now, there's a caveat to that. Not everything is, now if you're using GarageBand, is it going to be well equipped to do a surround mix for the next Batman score? Probably not. There's not all that functionality built in. But your general use for anything that you do in music related, I think, the DAW doesn't really matter. It's all about your workflow. Yeah, there is that. And just to kind of point out, we did kind of make a sarcastic remark about one particular DAW, which is one you actually started out on, which is Cubase. Yeah. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with Cubase. Cubase is a very handy DAW. It's just that... It's a fantastic DAW. Yeah. The, the reason I quit using Cubase was because of you. And uh, it was a workflow you, thing. It wasn't it was so much absolutely that Cubase work. was not a great DAW. It was a workflow thing. And it was like you wanted to work with what your friends worked with. Right. And it was one of those things that, like you said, we started collaborating more mm -hmm. and was going to make that easier. And it was also at a time where... I was about to change my doll regardless. This is this is going back far. This is before. <laughs> this is the yeah, dinosaur I, uh, era of dolls. Yeah, this is well. This is about the days when Cubase started going audio, when mm -hmm. you could actually record audio, and where it was just like any other sequencer initially, right? Just a MIDI sequencer, essentially, right? So it was that, and plugins were just starting to happen. Oh my God, I'm dating myself now. <laughs> but uh, th that's when I made a switch. But, you know, whatever DAW you're using with, you're going to find somebody that is using it to the utmost degree. I mean, it, it, we have discussed that certain DAWs might be more well-suited for certain genres. Sure. Like for like DJs and things, Ableton Live seems to be the one of choice because it, it, it's the one that started to doing that time stretching on the fly and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it got very well entrenched in, in that industry. I also you want know, to point out that there was a famous drummer from a rather famous band from, I think, late 70s, early 80s. I'm not exactly sure when they were hugely popular. He's now... Still drumming, I think, but he's gone on into working in the acting world as well. He's been on some pretty big TV shows as a character actor. And when he offered to help me get a record deal back in the day, he was running Cubase in his home studio. 
that's what we were going on. So I didn't even have a DAW. This is prior to me even having a DAW. He, he had me beat. He had Cubase on a computer. So I can't complain about using Cubase. Uh, it's a very handy DAW. We put up together several demos of tunes of mine and, you know, then things kind of fell apart for other reasons. It had more personal family reasons of his that things did not go well had nothing to do with the music and or I, but it was just one of those things that you just chalk up to experience. And I don't want to like call him out or throw him under the bus for anything either. So. No, it sounds possibly like we're a little bit on the defensive here, but if it came across that we were like bagging on something, that's absolutely not true. Although I will bag on audacity. I'm going to bag on Audacity. Yeah, did you hear the news? The new news the, this, about what is going on yeah. there. Yeah, I'm going to bag on Audacity. Don't use that DAW anymore, especially the yeah. latest updates. Piss off to that company that just bought it and did that. So Yeah, that that is that is not cool. And if you're unaware of that, go Google the article because, you know, if you're listening to this in the future, that m- might very well have been rectified. But there was... At the know, time of this episode, don't use Audacity. <laughs> That's yeah. all I'll say There's, about it. Yeah. That's just all. Spyware and tracking and things involved. Not, yeah. not cool. Not cool. So, not cool. all right. Moving on to our final can little we, bit. Can, oh, are you going to add yeah, more? Can we, put that, can we put that to bed then? I the, would like the to. The doll thing. The doll thing. Yeah. 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 Do, don't, don't be that guy. I, I've actually had discussions with, with somebody I met, and uh, he was a Pro Tools user. Lots of them are like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you see it online everywhere. <laughs> Pro Tools, yeah. standard. Who cares? Well, but but his his argument was a little different. He said, oh. well, I, I think uh, I, I think Logic sounds like a little bit muddy." All right, there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually said that. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, we've uh, done. Anyway, I, I, I don't know if we we probably talked about it where I did the AB mix. Between Logic and, say, Luna, which is, I guess, the, that the new is, grandchild yeah. of the Pro Tools is Luna, so to speak, because it's created by the same people that created Pro Tools. But Is that right? I, yes. I'm not sure the why I The original creators that. of Pro Tools are the guys that were hired by UA to do Luna. Okay. So, but Luna is, is a, a different animal because th- that one, you know, we've run tests and you've sent me stuff. It's like, which one do you think sounds better? And it has to do with the way I think we hypothesized yes. that it has to deal with the way Luna interacts with plugins. And it's, yeah, in the third-party plugin or just a plugin yeah. general mathematics is for whatever it is, Luna is doing something that appears to be different, sonically yeah. speaking. And just to kind of point it out, not that Luna is better or worse than any other DAW in that regard of sounding better or not. It's that 100% of every A-B mix done between Luna and Logic that I did, and I did quite Mm -hmm. a few of them, and I sent these mixes to quite a few people. As identical as I could possibly make the mixes from automation to the actual plug-in use and everything else and volume levels, et cetera, 100% of the time, everyone chose the Luna mix. Yeah. And that was kind of mind-bending to me. And it wasn't because it was better. It was just it felt like it had more depth. And that doesn't mean Logic doesn't have the depth. And it doesn't mean that the Logic mixes weren't good mixes because they were literally pretty much identical. And it came down to having to do the null test on audio without any plugins in different DAWs compared to Luna. And they null out. 
But as soon as you start adding plugins, the mathematics of how it deals with the plugins is different. And for whatever it is it's doing, there's just something different. Is it better? Who knows? But people were actually picking those mixes 100% over the other DAWs that I chose. Yeah, that was an interesting thing because I would have said, had I not done the same test, Mm -hmm. I would have said, no, you're, you're, you're imagining it. But no, it was there. And when we did the null test sort of thing with the plugins included, yes, then it, it was drastic. Yeah, very drastic. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, it's, oh, I can hear something here. No, it, there was a lot of difference. But yeah. anyway, that's the logic or the Luna plug of this segment. But <laughs> uh, so, so there are, but, but no, apart from that, DAWs don't have a sound. It just, I would say, if it's something that you feel inspired sitting in front of and working in, use that DAW. You know, you're not better or worse than anything else. And ultimately, it comes down to the song anyway. Yeah, the song has to sound great. The song has to be written great, and then it has to sound as great as you can make it. Yeah. Oh, man, I wish they would have recorded that in Digital Performer. It would have been so much better. (laughs) Yeah, nobody's ever going to say that. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Digital Performer, but, you know, yeah. All right, so we got... um, on a little bit up, more of a gear tangent here, our last point here, Jody. Mm-hmm. It's not the best gear, but the appropriate gear. Yes. Some people think you need to have the most high-end gear, period, in order to make the greatest quality stuff. And that's not necessarily true. Also, on top of that, before I, sorry to cut you off there, but the feeling that if I only have this high-end gear, it's going to do the job for me. Right. No, yeah. You still need to do your own job. Doesn't matter. Right. And that goes back to whatever it is, it, whether it's the cables, whether it's your, your monitoring situation, your room treatment, all this kind of stuff. It comes down to your skill as a mix engineer or an artist or, or a performer. What it, right. It's not, you know, just because you play a handmade James Tyler electric guitar, it's not going to make you perform better than if you're playing like a $400 Schecter. You know, if you're a shitty player, you know, it, it's not going to up your game. You might feel more inspired playing the James Tyler because they're, they're awesome guitars. But it's you as a person and the performers that, that make it good or not, right? Yes. It, it's not necessarily the gear. Having nice gear is nice, of course. It's nice. Yeah, it is. But it, it's the decisions that you make with the gear that, that ultimately makes the difference. Yes. Right? And to that end... As an example, there was a movie prior to the pandemic shutdown that I remember seeing in the theater. And I can't remember, I can't recall the title of the movie off the top of my head, but the closing song over the ending credits was actually recorded with a guy with his guitar, his voice on a boom box. That's how it was recorded. And it was perfect for the situation to close out that movie over those ending credits. Would it have been my original choice to go with a boombox mix? Probably not. But it worked for that specific use case. In addition to that, there's a friend that came over to watch me record for a TV show one time. And Mm -hmm. I knew the end result needed to have a certain sound. In that regard, I started using things in certain combinations. And the question I got was, well, why did you choose that? Well, experience tells me that if I use this instrument with this mic, with this pre, I'm going to get that end result that I need. 
Mm-hmm. And it was not, it's just a low end instrument with a medium range mic using a particular pre that wasn't all that ridiculous. So it got the correct sound. That's all I yeah. needed. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I mean, the key word there, I think, in the point is appropriate mm-hmm. gear, right? Not everything is appropriate if it sounds like a Mutt Lang production. You know, if you're, Let's take an extreme example here, right? But but let's take Nirvana's album, mm-hmm. right? Or never mind, right? It kind of broke them, mm-hmm. right? That would not have been as impactful, I would say. Probably would never have happened anyway. But if that had been like a Mutt Lang album, it would have it, been the, very the, different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have the plot would have been lost. And it, to be honest, it probably never would have been recorded that way because the band probably would have hated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that would just be completely inappropriate, you know. Now, that goes both ways, right? If you're doing like a, let's say, modern pop production and you want this like super slick type of a vibe, right? Maybe somebody that's not known for that kind of production is a bad choice to have at the helm in that case, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, yeah, we're going to do the the latest you know, insert pop diva here, right? But we're going to go back and we're going to do it an old four-channel console and we're going to use all outboard gear and we're not going to use any machines or anything. It's not appropriate, right? So appropriate choices is the key word where the good gear is nice to have, obviously. Yes, it is. But uh, it's not always the right gear. So the the gear doesn't do the job for you. It just helps you do it better. How about that? I agree with that statement, Nothing more to say about it. So why don't we move on to our Friday finds. Chris, you kick this off all the time. So what do you got for this week? I got an email from the good people at Presonus. Did you know? And they have a new interface out that sort of caught my attention. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of cool where they have, it is called the Revelator IO24. Sounds big, ominous. Right? It sounds impressive. But what it does, it it has a loopback function in it. So in today's society, when we do a lot of video conferencing or we're making streaming videos for online use for YouTube or whatever, what this is supposed to be able to do is, now I haven't tried it, but I read about it and it sounds intriguing to me. It has a loopback feature where you can combine audio from multiple applications at once and output that. So that if you're having you know, a video conference and you want to add some music underneath that and you're adding a Zoom call into it, so I think you can do that with this interface. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I know you can do that with additional software and things. Yeah, but, but if that you could it's do it straight built from the in. hardware, that sounds pretty cool. That's what I thought. So I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So well done, Presonus. Right. What, what about you? What do you got for us? I'm going into the world of the future of music mixing, I, I guess would be the good way of saying it, in that I spent some time delving into Dolby Atmos mixing, as that's now kind Ooh. of becoming a thing, thanks to Apple Music. Well, it's becoming a thing in, in music and not just from the movie right. industry. Great, Yeah. Because it's been around for a while in terms of movies, but it's kind of becoming a thing now for music. And especially now that Apple Music is making it a 
thing in their service where you can do listening to Dolby Atmos mixes of songs. Hmm. They now have Pro Tools and one other DAW that has the Dolby Atmos mixing built in. Apple has announced that Logic will have that built-in capability coming later in 2021. But you can, from Dolby Labs right now, download the plugin that would allow you to use it pretty much in any DAW because they do make it in VST, AU, and AAX format that you can go and download this for a 90-day trial of a plug-in version of their mixing engine that goes into your DAW. From there, you also have to download the Dolby Atmos mix encoder type thing that ties to the plugins or the built-in DAW stuff that allows you to send the audio to their encoder to encode the mixes. And I believe right, that into, also is a 90-day free trial for right now. Right. I'm going to start delving into it. I'm going to dig out some older songs that have done well in the past, and, and maybe clients will come at me and go, hey, man, I want some Dolby Atmos mixing on one of my tunes. I plan on delving into it because it does create this sonic difference. Now, the interesting thing about all this Dolby Atmos mixing thing is, is that they claim they've been working on it for all of, I don't know, 10 years. But I can mm -hmm. recall being at music school, talking to a couple of the instructors saying that they were dealing with people and they didn't say Dolby, but I'm assuming it was the Dolby people, of how to relate height in terms of the mix like where it could be placed in relation, spatial relationship from high and low, not from the EQ standpoint, but from above your head to below your head kind of thing and front to back and all of that kind of stuff. So there was spatial stuff going on 20 plus years ago that people were talking about. But now it's like becoming a reality that your home mixer can now do it on headphones, which is the whole point of the Dolby Atmos plugins and the DAWs that are going to be able to do it, that you could technically do your rough mixes on headphones for Dolby Atmos. It's going to be pretty badass. Mm. So my, so my pick That sounds really Dolby interesting. Atmos. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I'm sorry. I, I talked over you there. But, but that, yeah, that sounds really, really intriguing. It does. I remember, yeah, especially with the encoders where it's like binaural stuff where it's, it's all about you don't need the 12.1 the speaker system, right? It just, it, it tricks your brain into hearing it in different things on headphones. Is that yeah. my understanding that correctly? Yeah. That is pretty cool. I I'm looking forward to it. That yeah, I'm gonna have to read up a little bit more on that because that that sounds really really cool. That it does. absolutely. And yeah. with that, while we've got your attention, we would like to ask you to go to our website at insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our email lists. You'll get weekly reminders of our Tuesday tips and our episodes. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. Plus you get a little plug-in preset pack from Chris and I for some slate digital stuff and some universal audio stuff. If you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R at inside the recording studio.com with the word myths, you'll get something back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, hit us up on our contact page and we'll put it into rotation for a future episode. And with that, I'll say see you next week, Chris. Have a good one, Jody. Talk to you later.